Welcome. I'm Panayota Daphniotis, and I'm your host for an intellectual property podcast series brought to you by Dentons Canada. This podcast series covers a broad range of intellectual property topics on patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and related IP disputes with an emphasis on the practical, giving companies of all sizes and industries the IP intel they should be thinking about. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There, you can access all of our intellectual property podcasts as well as an episode description for each topic and information about our speakers. We are currently living in unprecedented times and we hope all of our listeners are in good health and staying positive. It is worth mentioning that we, like many of you, are working remotely and so we are recording these podcasts from our respective new home offices and we are excited to be able to do so and bring this content to our listeners. And now, over to our podcast topic and speakers. Today's podcast covers trademark essentials for in-house counsel. With me today, we have Jennifer McKay, who is a partner in Denton's Intellectual Property Group and located in our Ottawa office. Jennifer is a trademark lawyer with in-depth knowledge and experience in IP law and talent dealing with both national and international trademark portfolios. Her extensive experience includes registration, licensing, opposition, litigation, availability opinions, transfers, domain names, and summary cancellation proceedings. Also with us today is Anna Clark. Anna is a trademark agent and located in our Ottawa office. She has many years of hands-on experiencing managing Canadian and international trademark portfolios for Denton's clients and provides support across the country to our teams on IP-related matters. As for myself, I'm Panayota Daphniotis and a partner and national lead for the Intellectual Property Group in Canada. I have 25 years experience as an IP lawyer working in all areas of intellectual property, helping companies manage, grow, enforce, and commercialize their IP portfolios, protect their innovation, and manage intellectual property risk. Today's topic of discussion is intended to provide an overview on trademarks, trademark essentials for in-house counsel. In Canada in 2019, we saw significant changes to legislation impacting the trademark landscape. And Jennifer, I wanted to start with you to get your your observations, your um, experience with what the last, and it's, it's well over 12 months now, but what the last year has looked like for trademark owners and for trademark protection. What's the, what's the impact that we are seeing to trademark owners? Uh, well, Paniota, in addition to everything else we've been, been experiencing in 2020, it's been a very interesting year for trademarks, and there are lots and lots of issues to discuss. 
Canada's new trademark legislation, which was uh, intended to simplify the registration process for stakeholders and harmonize Canada's legislation with international treaties, has created a number of new issues, uh, which in the short term in any event, seem to have complicated and extended the registration process, but hopefully in the long term, the registration process will be streamlined and result in a more cost efficient and expedient process for stakeholders. One of the biggest changes brought in by the new legislation is the fact that use is no longer required in order to obtain a Canadian trademark registration. And while that is considered uh, a benefit to some, especially larger companies with lots of trademarks, um, it has also created the issue that people are filing applications uh, with either not an intention to use in the near future or perhaps no legitimate intention to use even in the long term, which is creating a more crowded trademark register, which is in turn making it more difficult to clear trademarks for use in registration in Canada. The number of applications filed over the last couple of years, which was a significant increase in prior years, has also resulted in a significant backlog at the trademarks office, which means that trademark applications filed today have to wait approximately two years to be examined. This is, of course, far from ideal, and the Trademarks Office has been hiring lots of new examiners in an attempt to reduce the backlog uh, with the idea that turnaround time in the next few years should be reduced to about six months. And Jennifer, I'm just going to jump in there on that point because I think that that's a practical uh, and important piece of information for in-house counsel, the timing, um, because we get asked that question all of the time. And so what in, in your mind is the difference between the timing uh, in um, trademark owners faced previously and the timing that you just mentioned right now? Uh, well, Penayota, it's been up and down over the years. Uh, historically, I'd say the average was around six months or a little between six months and a year to first examination. Uh, this is by far the, the longest uh, turnaround time we've ever experienced. And you realize how um, perhaps unnecessary it is for a trademark application. Uh, when you think of the fact that in the UK, for example, you can get a trademark registration within a month or two from filing and we don't even get an office action until two years after we filed. So it's, it's, it's an extremely long turnaround time. The trademarks office knows that it's a very unacceptable long turnaround time and uh, they're working very hard to reduce it, but they just got into such um, a huge backlog of applications that need to be examined and they didn't have the person power to manage all those applications. So we're definitely going to be experiencing catch up over the next couple of years. Right. So, so patience for our in-house uh, listeners. Notwithstanding the few hiccups that we've been experiencing over the last year, it's now perhaps more important than ever to actually um, assess what trademark, uh, trademarks companies would like to protect and to file applications even though you're going to wait a long time to get a registration. Um, this is because the fact that the register is getting a lot more crowded is going to make it more and more difficult to carve out a piece of uh, trademark real estate on the register both in Canada and worldwide actually. So um, one takeaway from that is it, it's definitely um, you snooze you lose really applies to trademarks and um, the earlier you file and, and carve out your little spot on the register, the better. I'm, I'm glad you touched on that point because I think um, at the most basic level when we talk to brand uh, owners and, and companies that are really uh, very keen on protecting their identity, protecting um, their products and, and you know, the, the recognition in the marketplace, 
Um, the question that always comes up is why protect your marks? And I would say, you know, the question today um, for you is why is it more important than ever, in fact? And you've alluded to this a little bit, but let's just, you know, maybe just, uh, just attack a little, little bit more. Why really is it more important than ever in light of all the changes that have come into effect in Canada and in light of sort of the trends that we are seeing in the trademark space in Canada? Why is it more important than ever to protect your trademarks? Uh, well, Paniota, trademark rights are acquired through use. So as soon as you start using a trademark in association with goods and services, as you know, you acquire rights to that trademark, but only in the limited geographic area where you're actually using the mark. So if you're using a mark in Nova Scotia and somebody starts using a confusing mark in British Columbia, the chances that you'd be able to stop the, the subsequent user from using a confusing trademark uh, are very slim. But if you register your trademark, then you are um, granted the right to use the trademark across Canada. Um, which is a significant benefit when you would like to try to enforce your trademark. And with the proliferation of trademark applications in Canada and worldwide over the last number of years, the internet has exposed people to trademarks. You know, national barriers aren't really that significant anymore because on the internet, everything is wide open. Um, trademark applications have been going up worldwide and you cannot register a trademark which is confusing with a mark which is already on a trademark register. So if you wait to register your trademarks, then it may be too late. And we've all seen examples of cases where companies have been using marks for years and all of a sudden, you know, they didn't do an availability search before starting to use and they didn't apply to register their trademarks. So a few years down the road, they are told by a third party that they can no longer use their trademark. And unfortunately, it does become the case that they have to completely rebrand after already using their mark for a number of years. So all that to say, um, just assess what trademarks are important to your company, file the applications, and it may take a while to get a registration in Canada, for example, but at least your rights flow from when you filed the application. So. Um, it's just, it's always a good idea to file an application to register your trademarks. And if you're doing business internationally, um, then you should also be thinking of filing applications outside of Canada as well. So those are excellent points. I think you, you hit the, you know, really the central point for in-house counsel to keep in mind is that relying on use alone for your, your rights and protecting your company's corporate identity and your product naming um, will fall short of the, uh, of the protection that you need. Whereas filing a trademark application and seeking registration um, will really put your company in a better position to defend their brand uh, in a broader way. And, and in the, this day and age, um, most companies do have a presence as you've highlighted online um, where they, they need that protection on a broader basis. So, um, and certainly the international element is, 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 is key as well. Um, I, I think with that, I'd like to turn to Anna. So Anna, in your practice, you're really on the front line of a lot of the, um, uh, the prosecution around trademark applications and you're seeing a lot of trends with these applications in light of the changes in Canada and in light of the, the uh, current landscape in Canada. And I'd like to hear from you 
um, you know, what is it that you are observing in terms of some of the challenges um, that, um, that brand owners are facing with their trademarks, um, you know, sort of on that front line? So maybe if you could start with, um, you know, sharing some of that with us. Thank you, Paniota. I'd love to. We've started to receive more and more examiner's reports uh, with respect to the inherent distinctiveness objection. And it's frustrating to clients because in some cases they're receiving this objection um, uh, after maybe receiving an office action where they've only had to redefine their goods and services. They think they're good to go and the examiners come back and re-examine their application under the amendments to the act and now they've been slapped with an inherent distinctiveness objection. And so the client has to then look at um, having to either fight this objection and incur the cost to do so or allow the application to lapse. So that can be a point of frustration to our clients. We've also noticed on the trademark office end that there seems to be a bit of a lack of consistency with the, these examiner's reports on in, inherent distinctiveness. Uh, where the examiner may raise the objection and not provide evidence as to why they're raising it, or they may search the internet and in some instances pull evidence that isn't necessarily trademark use or even trademark use in Canada. So then we have the opportunity to respond to these uh, office actions. And I believe, Jennifer, you've had some success in overcoming uh, the objection in some instances. But because the objection is so new and there is no case law that we have as precedent, it can be difficult to predict the outcome of uh, the examination. And there's no guarantees, of course, that the client will, will get the mark through to registration. So in best practices uh, to avoid these types of objections would to be start with a, a, a pre-clearance search to get an opinion as to whether or not there may be a possibility of receiving this inherent distinctiveness objection in advance of filing an application. And something else uh, to keep in mind is that the trademark office manual uh, sets out numerous red flag marks to avoid um, when choosing a trademark that, that will run into this objection, things like geographic location, generic designs, um, the name of a mark that's clearly descriptive in English and French, for example, uh, for a few examples. Um, again, best practice would be to reach out to your trademark agent in advance and have them uh, assess whether or not you're going to run into any issues with this objection. Uh, Jennifer, can I ask you for, um, for some of your successes? I know that you're, you've seen many of these cases and certainly have your finger on the pulse as well for um, how this is evolving and uh, for practitioners in Canada? Uh, thank you, Paniota. I was actually going to interject when Anna was talking about the importance of availability opinions prior to filing, because sometimes it's a matter of a simple fix, like a word can raise some red flags if it's just an ordinary um, dictionary term or a combination of dictionary terms which um, seem to be encountering inherent distinctiveness objections on a regular basis now. But the simple fix could be just to add, you know, a distinctive design component or potentially the house mark to the application. And in that way, the applicant would be able to avoid an inherent distinctiveness objection. I have had success in a couple of cases where the, I think the examiner just wants you to put something on file to the effect that 
you know, maybe it's not the most distinctive mark in the world, but there is some inherent distinctiveness to it. And that I believe is the test. So as long as there's something that you can hang your hat on, that it's not a completely descriptive term or phrase, then uh, I think for the most part, you should be able to overcome an inherent distinctiveness objection, but we are encountering them in a, a very large number of cases. Yeah, we are we are certainly seeing this, and I think it is um, it is uh, something where uh, previous experience and advice is coming in really handy uh, to assess on a case by case basis what you think that fix that quick fix as you mentioned um, can uh, can be for uh, for the client and for um, uh, for the trademarks office. And so I think, Anna, I want to I want to switch back um, to you to talk a little bit more. We were you know we. We opened it up uh, on your end with identifying challenges that we're seeing on the front line of trademark prosecution these days. And you talked about inherent distinctiveness. Can we talk about goods and services? What are you seeing in that space? What is the issue that you're observing? Um, and how are we, uh, are we you know, seeing it being handled? Sure, Paniota. So before the coming into force of the amendments to the Act, uh, June 17, 2019, applicants could file a trademark application in Canada for uh, literally a laundry list of goods and services and only pay one government fee. So with the coming into force of the amendments to the Trademarks Act and Canada joining those three international treaties, one of those treaties was the, is the international classification of goods and services known as the NIS classification system. So under NIS, goods and services now must be broken down in an application according to their proper class with government fees incurred per class. And as of June 17, 2019, the NIS classification is mandatory for new applications that are filed, applications that were not published by June 17, 2019, and registrations at the time of renewal. Something of note is that the Canadian Intellectual Property Office, or CEPO, follows the World Intellectual Property Organization, or WIPO, guidelines for classification of goods and services and not those of the United States Patent and Trademark Office, which means that a Canadian examiner may not accept US classifications for a Canadian application and require further reclassification. So foreign applicants filing in Canada need to be aware that a Canadian examiner may issue an office action calling for the movement of certain goods and services description into different classes than say were accepted in their corresponding US application. His CEPO has historically been known to be very strict with their description of goods and services and this hasn't changed with the amendments to the Trademarks Act. So with respect to goods and services description, the amendment under the Act for paragraph 32A still requires that the statement of goods and services be in ordinary commercial terms. And this is nothing new, it's always been the case. However, with the adoption of the NIS system under section 29 of the trademark regulations, goods and services now must also be specific enough to classify them in their proper NIS classification. So we still recommend to clients to file descriptions of their goods and services as broadly as they possibly can, because then this is gonna give them that room to narrow their description um, if it's required by the office. 
So we're currently experiencing since the coming into force of NICE that examiners are pulling back and re-examining applications that were not published uh, before June 17th. Uh, 2019 with respect to classification of goods and services. And this has resulted in a higher volume of examiner's reports for minor technical movements of goods and services or to further specify certain go goods and services in order for the examiner to determine which proper class they fall into. And as Jennifer mentioned, examiners are currently approximately 18 months behind an examination, which means that these office actions relating, relate to applications that were filed well before the amendments came into effect. Um, these changes impact the client as the issuing of more than the usual office actions to correct these um, minor uh, deficiencies in the descriptions, ties up the application and examination, and it delays the, pro the progress of the application to registration. I'd like to distill that a little bit because I think you're, you're, you're raising some really um, important points for uh, for trademark owners and I think at a, at a practical level um, trademark owners and, and those that have applications in the pipeline um, that uh, have not uh, been published by the date uh, June in, in 2019 should really expect that they will be hearing from the trademarks office in the way that you've described um, for this classification exercise to take place. I, my, my impression on what I'm, I'm observing with practitioners and the portfolios that we manage is that really has become um, an expected event in, in, in for a, a trademark uh, application. And so uh, I, I just wanted to highlight that because I think from a practical level that should be on the radar of in-house counsel managing these trademark portfolios. So. Um, so why don't you why don't you go ahead, Anna? Yeah, for sure. It it's definitely should be on their radar, and and it's definitely on our radar. So as shortly after we receive these technical uh, office actions, we we try to get them out to the client sooner than later, so that we can move them forward and keep them fresh in the mind of the examiner. One recent positive step we've noticed: CPO has uh, implemented. Uh, where examiners can call uh, either the applicant or their appointed agent and speak to them over the phone about um, minor deficiencies in um, an application instead of sending a formal examiner's report. So this is very, very helpful, um, especially for minor things like, say, a color claim or, or um, a, a minor change maybe in an address. Um, they may require a revised application where it's moving a NICE classification, but it's, it's going to greatly shorten that process for, for these minor amendments and move these applications through to approval. That's really and, helpful. Jennifer, what are your thoughts? What are, your, what are you seeing on, on the goods and services side? Hardly routine, right? Not routine at all, uh, Paniota, and very time-consuming and labor-intensive. So I've had a case recently with a long list of goods and services where we've had to go back and forth multiple times with the examiner, which is the last thing we need to delay prosecution even further. But uh, as Anna mentioned, that is a very positive step I've noticed from examiners is when they call to see if it's a quick fix that uh, can just have it over with without them is issuing an office action and thus having to respond to the office action and all the delays that are incurred as a result of that. So that is definitely a positive step we're seeing. 
Great. Um, I, I think it's a good time to, to pivot a little bit, uh, maybe zoom out uh, on, um, on some of the guidance we can provide, keeping in mind that some of our listeners may be uh, new to role in some capacity, whether they're new to the in-house role or new to the trademarks function, or they are in a position where they're building out the trademark function and growing it within their, uh, their company. Um, and, um, and I think it would be helpful for our listeners to, uh, to provide some, some practical advice um, as part of uh, the, the management of the trademark portfolio, uh, keeping in mind that uh, our, our listeners may be with small uh, to quite large companies. And in fact, uh, in my experience, many of the issues are the same, including budget. Regardless of the size of the company, there are uh, serious cost constraints that companies face. Um, in terms of spend, particularly post-COVID, uh, but beyond uh, budget and cost, um, some of the, the practical uh, aspects of managing a portfolio, and in particular, managing a portfolio in Canada in light of the changes that, that have come into effect in Canada in 2019 uh, in the trademark space. So maybe, Jennifer, uh, I can start with you. And, um, you know, what do you think would be helpful for our listeners to hear uh, with that in mind? Um, well, Paniota, if they're not sure where to start, we would be happy to have someone do a trademark audit for them to maybe peruse their website and uh, talk to some people and assess perhaps they don't even know what trademarks would merit registration. Um, so we would happy to help out. We would be happy to help out in that regard. Um, apart from that, I, I understand a lot of companies are under financial constraints in, in light of the current economic uh, uncertainty, but uh, I would suggest that this is probably not the, um, the best place to cut costs because IP protection is becoming more and more significant for companies and uh, trademark protect, uh, protection in particular, it is very important to solidify those rights as soon as possible in order to avoid obstacles further down the line. Um, Madrid is an, uh, the Madrid International Trademark Filing System is another uh, positive step that was brought into effect with our new trademark legislation. And uh, in addition to allowing foreign companies to designate Canada from their international trademark applications, Canadian companies are now able to file international applications through the World Intellectual Property Organization. And instead of filing separately in every jurisdiction where uh, they may have a presence, they are able to go uh, through the World Intellectual Property Organization, and which acts as a central hub for filing in the various jurisdictions, which has the effect of reducing prosecution costs when you're doing an international filing, and it just streamlines the process. So that's a big plus for Canadian companies these days. Yeah, and I would add, I would add something. You know, I found it interesting. Um, part of what you were talking about in terms of this not being the place to um, uh, to cut back on costs necessarily, as IP protection has grown in importance. And and what I would what I would emphasize on that is there is significant amount of time, uh, resources, uh, including spend, for companies to build recognition in the marketplace. Um, to build their brand um, and uh, invest in, in, in product naming and launching uh, new products and services. And I would say that protecting the recognition that goes with all of that, with the company 
company's identity and product identity um, in the marketplace is, um, is, is well worth it, in particular when you think about the cost of not protecting and having someone else adopt a brand that is the same as or confusingly similar to your identity or your product naming uh, that you've invested so heavily and committed so heavily in the marketplace to. And so it really cannot be overlooked because the protection um, that is afforded to trademark owners um, is, is really valuable on who you are. And that's the aspect of intellectual property that trademarks protect. They protect who you are as a company um, and, um, and, and your connection to your customer. So, so Anna, I guess I was just wondering, listening to what Jennifer mentioned, um, is there anything that comes to mind for you in, in the dealings uh, with your clients that you think uh, would be essential for an in-house practitioner to keep in mind as they are managing and growing their trademark pro portfolio? Well, yes, as, as you both mentioned, you know, companies are spending such um, a, a lot of time and resources and money coming up with a distinctive brand. So they they don't want to waste that money and then come and then realize that down the road they can't enforce their use of that brand. So for me, I find it's very important to let a client know that searches are, are vital uh, at the outset um, so that they can avoid this. It's very little money to spend considering the amount of money you're going to spend if you have to rebrand your, uh, your, um, products and services. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. That's, that's excellent, Anna. And I think, um, I think this is probably a good time to, to, uh, to wrap up our, our discussion. And so as a quick recap, um, you know, I think we touched on a lot of different things. I think we touched on the fact that the change in Canada has uh, brought many uh, positive changes to the trademark landscape in Canada is streamlining of processes. Uh, there are a few bumps in the road for, um, for trademark owners and practitioners as Canada moves into year two uh, in, this, uh, in this new environment that we are in. Uh, but there are many positives and certainly having um, experience on handling those issues with, uh, with CIPO and with um, with uh, trademark owners, I think is really helpful. As you mentioned, Jennifer, some of those quick fixes um, and really small insights that make a difference in how to move the trademark applications along. I think what we also touched on was the fact that searching is a, remains a valuable tool for trademark owners to really uh, make sure that um, their brand is clear and that they have the ability to move forward and an audit may be a good way to kickstart a trademark program within a company if there, you have an in-house um, function that needs support on how to build from scratch or to grow um, and what would be the most valuable uh, aspects of their, their branding to protect. And I think inherent in that, uh, something you said earlier on, uh, Jennifer, was really the importance today more than ever to file a uh, trademark application to protect your brand. That registered right um, is really quite valuable in today's marketplace 
um, particularly the marketplace that expands over the internet so broadly in terms of reach uh, and wanting to be sure that someone does not inadvertently adopt a mark that is the same as or confusingly similar to, to your brand. Um, so protection is key and, um, and I think, uh, you know, not overlooking the search as we mentioned, I think is, is fundamental. So uh, I think with that, we, uh, we will wrap up today's discussion. Anna, um, Jennifer, thank you so much for, uh, for being here today and sharing your insights. Like I said, you guys are on the front line of so many of these is issues and uh, I think it's been really a valuable conversation for our listeners. So thanks. Thank you, Paniota and Anna. Thank you, ladies. Information provided during this episode should not be taken as legal advice. Denton's Canadian Intellectual Property Group has expertise that spans all areas of IP, patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and related disputes and litigation. Our speakers from this podcast episode or any other professional in our group would be pleased to speak with you about today's topic or any other IP topic of interest. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes in our IP series. Stay well.